Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We can use your help masking all that dilithium. We, as in discovery. What we are you really talking about? Shush. And that by now it's a lost cause trying to say no to you. I've never been to Earth. I've never been to this one. Earth just isn't the same anymore. I mean, in this future, I don't even recognize Earth. It's so different now, you know, except there's a big tree. That (laughs) at least is consistent. Welcome, everyone, to Positively Trek. This is our show where we're going to review episode three of Star Trek Discovery from season three. Wow. Three, two threes. We have season three, episode three, People of Earth is the title of the episode. And with me, as always, is Dan Gunther. Dan, are you ready to talk about this episode? Oh, definitely. Yep. Lots to say about this one. And of course, for the third time, since we're talking threes. <laughs> it's perfect. The third time she's joined us, but I think she's been on more episodes, but our third time recording with her, because we do two episodes in one recording, we have Katie Nicolau. How are you? I am so great. I'm so excited to be back. I love I love working with you guys. Awesome. So happy to have you on the show. <laughs> and you also love Discovery, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I don't know what that... Oh, <laughs> Dan, I don't know. It sounds like she likes us more than Discovery. I don't know. We'll get into that. But You guys are consistently good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No, you cannot be that way. This is positively I be, true. I will be positive as I can be. <laughs> okay, well, let me just ask you this. Did you like this episode? I actually did. I, I Overall, I've liked them a lot. Okay, so, Dan, I'm going to start with you real quick. Just what were your initial thoughts going into this episode? Were you excited about them returning to Earth? I, I guess what I'm leaning toward, towards is, did this episode meet your expectations? A uh, couple different questions there, for sure. I, I definitely was excited for them to get to Earth. I thought that was going to be a, an interesting look at where things are. I liked some of the speculation at the beginning, like, what are we going to find that's the same? You know, oh, maybe the the pyramids or, you know, whatever else. The gateway arch in uh, St. Louis, I think, right? Is that, is that, did I get that yes. right? Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> when we get to Earth, I think it's really interesting to see how things have changed. And the episode, I think, did meet my expectations. I was, uh, I was curious to see what would be different. I've always, since like the early days of Star Trek, like in the original series, if you watch the old series, there's no indication right off the bat that like Earth is the center of the Federation. They just kind of say like, oh, Earth is part of this United Federation of Planets and we're starships of the United Earth Space Probe Agency and and all this stuff. So I've always since then kind of 
wondered in the back of my mind, what would it be like if Earth was just like another member of Starfleet and, and not the main kind of planet? And then this episode kind of takes it further and says, well, Earth is no longer in the Federation. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, what does that universe look like? Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too, because like you said, it always feels like Earth is kind of the center of the Federation. But the Federation, of course, is more than just Earth. So, yeah, what if that isn't the central part of the Federation or even Starfleet, you know, because Starfleet isn't even based on Earth anymore. Katie, what what were your thoughts about that situation? I thought it was very strange for me to imagine a future Earth without the Federation or Starfleet. Because it's kind of like if you pose the question, oh, would you want to join Starfleet to any geek today? (laughs) And say, you could join it right now. Everyone would say yes. And I feel like even in the future, maybe people would be like, I still want to do that. That seems like a pretty cool job. So it was really interesting to see if you take that out of the equation, what would the people of Earth be like? And so it was really... I enjoyed the way that they handled Earth outside of the Federation. They could have taken it in very different ways and made us like all raiders or everyone going pirate or something like that. No, they they handled it pretty realistically. They did, but in a sense, aren't we all kind of just a little disappointed that the future isn't brighter, that Earth stands on its own. It's not part of the Federation. It's not part of Starfleet anymore. I mean, there's like a century difference of when Starfleet and the Federation were around Earth, you know, that Earth was part of that. And they've, you know, closed themselves up from really the rest of the universe. And they're so defensive. And it's sad in a way because as Star Trek fans, we're always looking at this, oh, the bright future and things will get better. And here we are. And I'm not saying I'm disappointed necessarily. I mean, oh, I think I it's am. a good storytelling, but you're disappointed then, Katie. Why is that? I would say there's always going to be people. Once you have a Federation or once you have a Starfleet, there's going to be people who hold on to that for the rest of their lives. Not just one person on a lonely spaceship waiting for someone to respond to their hails. There's going to be more people on Earth. Like, even now, we have people who are out on their own trying to build their own rocket ships. They're far and few between, but it's not like everyone on Earth is going to be like, oh, no, we aren't going to talk to anyone. We have this shield around Earth and even our own people. We don't scan vessels for human life. We just fire. Well, to your point, I I don't. I think we're going to find out that not everyone on Earth is like this. Like, I, I feel like this is kind of something that's grown out of things that have happened, you know, we have this kind of mentality that, you know, we have to close our borders and, you know, earth first. Uh, I I don't, I don't know if there's any kind of parallels to anything that anybody might think of, but, you know, I, I I tend to think that, you know, there's still a a lot of people on earth that wouldn't necessarily uh, buy into that a hundred percent, or, you know, maybe they've been told and manipulated and, you know, believe that or something, but I think there's going, we're going to find out that there's a strong group of people that, you know, like, I'm going to put the prediction here by the end of the season, earth will be back in the Federation. I I think, Oh yeah. you know, so I I think the seeds are there. I think they're just kind of showing where things have gone and and how, what we have to change now. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're right. But, you know, this is one of the things that sometimes is a problem as viewers of Star Trek. We see a race or a society, a planet represented by a few people or organizations. So we think the whole planet's that way. 
you know, and that's such a narrow view. So to your point, Dan, it's like, you know, this is like a defense force. This is like protecting Earth. And just because Earth's not part of the Federation doesn't mean that Earth is a bad place or a depressing place or it's not a happy place. Everybody could living a great life on Earth and it's perfect and it's wonderful. It's just because of the circumstances of what happened in the universe with the dilithium. Well, they're cut off from other things and, and people are trying to raid them. So they're protecting Earth and it's a very happy, safe place. It's not where we want it to be because we don't want to be fighting against others and being raided and have to put up a shield and kind of isolate ourselves. But at the same time, maybe life is good on earth. And, you know, we look at it as like a bad situation, but everybody on earth might say it's all good. Yeah. Like imagine if you lived outside the United States and the only interaction you ever had with the United States was immigration and customs enforcement agents. I I think that's what we're seeing here. So you see a parallel, huh? Oh, definitely. I don't think it's as uh, as masked a parallel as they've done before. Like, Star Trek can be pretty blunt with their uh, parallels to current situations, like the original series episode with the half white face, half black face, and then the other opposite. I forget the name of the episode. Oh, I'm being a bad geek right now. Let that be your battlefield. Let that be your last battlefield. I knew. I was like, I, I don't think I got that exactly right. I don't, I'm <laughs> impressed regardless. That That's good. That's good. <laughs> oh, gosh. But yeah, I think they're trying to return to that form of pretty blunt parallels. Does Earth always have to be in Star Trek in some kind of situation where it's going to be attacked or like we always have to threaten Earth in some way. It kind of gets on my nerves after a while. <laughs> the entire Zindi arc. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I like about this episode. It's almost setting up Earth to be kind of sidelined in this. It's not the most important place. It's not, you know, they've cut themselves off. They've sealed themselves off. They're not the seat of the Federation now. And I, th- I think that's interesting because that's something we've never seen before. Yeah, I'm disappointed in where Earth has found herself and, and that kind of thing. But I think narratively, story-wise, it's interesting that it's kind of on the fringes and, you know, we see that throughout the episode, for example, like from from Book and Burnham's perspective, they keep referring to no one will no one knows you way out here. Like, you know, Earth is the frontier now. Like, that's really interesting. So what do you guys think of Captain Nadoya? You like Captain Nadoya and uh, her role in this and, and what the Federation is doing? I mean, not the Federation. See, I'm referring to Earth as the Federation. <laughs> Force of habit. I don't know. I think. She's she's doing a job that she was meant to do, and clearly she's done it right and well because Earth's still intact. From what I saw with the negotiation scene, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little later, but I don't know. I, she doesn't seem like quite the top-notch captains that we're used to. I, I liked her performance. I think she had an interesting role in the episode because... You know, from her perspective, I think she's playing this well. The The basis of, of being insular and cutting yourself off from the unknown and all that is fear, right? So she's an Earth Defense Force captain who fears the unknown and is doing everything she can to protect her home and, you know, from what she perceives as this alien threat and that kind of thing. And I think from that perspective, she was an interesting character. And I love the kind of reveal at the end, of course, where everything she she's kind of assumed and made all these decisions based on on this assumption that turns out to be completely wrong. I love that, you know, she's still open enough to be like, oh, 
I was wrong. Okay, let's start over from this position now. So, you know, a little bit by the numbers as far as things go, but I, you know, I can appreciate her perspective and, you know, it, it's been a century of earth being cut off and insular. And that's what that situation breeds is this fear of the unknown. Yeah, I like that you both brought up that talk, that negotiation then later with Wen and part of the Raiders from Titan. And that whole situation could have gone really bad. It could have not worked out at all. But if anything, that showed me that even though things have changed, some things remain the same. And that is that we have reached a point that even if there's avoiding communication and there's a disagreement and there's a misunderstanding, which there was between these two parties, that once it's revealed, we're not fighting against it just to be right or always having our way. We're open to negotiation. We're open to discussion. And so she was very accommodating to realize that this was a situation she wasn't aware of and now she wants to fix the situation and is open to work with them and vice versa on the other side from when. So I like that about that, that scene and not just our Starfleet crew helping them through it, but they, they realized it and didn't fight against it. You can still see the Star Trekiness of the future Earth and that they're willing to listen. Right. And uh, that's, that's another thing that makes it, you know it's in the future is people are willing to change their minds and listen. And so <laughs> I still I like that optimistic outlook for this future of Earth. And speaking of Star Trekiness, like how much more of a Star Trek type ending can you have where, you know, it's not them shooting it out and this, this kind of thing, but that's solved by, by talking. Like that was just so, you know, I saw online somebody saying like, oh, this was a pretty by the numbers Star Trek episode. They encounter a xenophobic planet and sort out their misunderstanding and everything, everybody goes on their happy way. It's just that that planet turns out to be Earth in this case. And I thought that's really interesting. It really is kind of a Star Trek tropey story, really, if you think about yeah. it. It's just the players have been kind of shifted around a little bit. It's a really good way of looking at it. It's weird how people are online because you read people's comments on new Star Trek stuff and it's like, oh, it's it's not Star Trek. It's not Star Trek enough. And then when you get an episode like this and I see people complaining, uh, it's it's too Star Trek tropey. It's too it's like, <laughs> oh, well, what do you want? <laughs> but I know they're not necessarily the same people saying those, but if you look at it generally the, the comments you just don't know like it's a no-win situation you know it's like but i i enjoyed that regardless so uh hey the more star trekky the better right come on i mean who doesn't want that i will say it was a bit much when they finally got the negotiation going and you just hear that it's like yes we know you're calling back to the original it's okay guys we're we're smart enough to tell that's an interesting comment I mean, I enjoyed it, but there are times recently, and especially in this episode, that I feel like they're pulling at our heartstrings a little too much with things like that. <laughs> they're trying a little too hard. Like, it's yeah. okay. We love you guys. You're Star Trek. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I just really felt, okay, don't get me wrong. There's a part of me that loves this, but there's also the part of me that goes, okay are you just trying to like accommodate us a little too much on this like there's so much love in this with everybody yeah. and and understanding and the family aspect again i love that piece of it but there was times i felt like it was just being played a little too much does that make sense mm -hmm. what about you dan you're not 
You're kind of shaking your head. <laughs> I, I'm of two minds of it as well. It does get a little bit, uh, you know, calling back to that a little bit too much and, and playing on those things. But at the same time, I love Alexander Courage's original theme. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes it's just a little bit too blatant, but other times, you know, they work it in really nicely into the music. There's one in particular that I really, really like, and it's from the first episode of the season. And it's actually really subtle and I didn't notice it until I was, you know, listening to parts to kind of find clips uh, to put at the start of our review episode. And it was when uh, the, the Mr. Sahil is saying, you know, that the whole that hope is you speech underneath that very, like very low level, it goes and then it just kind of holds that note and then goes into a different bit of theme and I'm like that's very subtle like I didn't even notice that when I was watching it I love that but yeah they they do the whole triumphant theme and and just like as a like really sticking out yeah it gets a bit much sometimes but mm-hmm. I, I do like when they get creative with it yeah and they didn't play the whole theme though they they just did like the first three notes I think at the end of that scene it's kind of stopped but then they played it more at the end when they're at on Earth in San Francisco at Starfleet Academy and the camera zooms out, you know, past the, the bridge and everything. So That one I have a little bit more patience for because it's it's the federation it's the starfleet theme we're seeing the golden gate bridge we're seeing the former grounds of starfleet academy i'm like themes do play a role in television and film and i think like if you're showing that and you have the theme playing i'm like there's really no other choice you could make in that situation i think yeah and i mean in this topic you know even the speeches we get sometimes i just feel like it Sometimes it's just a little much, but again, don't get me wrong. I love it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I really do, but it just seems like there's so many times now in discovery. We've had the bridge speech like Saru, you know, speaking about being, you know, this crew in the future and wow, what a moment there. He is officially the captain. And I love how that scene played out too, because it wasn't made into a big conversation between him and Burnham where Burnham's like, no, it's you. We don't need to discuss it. It's you, Saru. I love that. Yeah, it's a big step for the character. And I I love that each season we have like the official captain of Discovery now. And in here in season three, it's Captain Saru. That's pretty cool. The one thing that I, I wonder about is like you can be a captain of a vessel and have the rank of commander and he's wearing the captain's uniform with the captain's rank on his badge. And I'm like, OK, who promoted him there? Who authorized that? Because that doesn't quite sit right with me. Like, who's the admiral that said that that's OK? Jojo. <laughs> there you go. There's an admiral on board. No one asks questions. It'll still be an admiral. I wonder how Saru feels about that. We didn't get Saru's reaction to her being an admiral. Admiral in quote marks, of course. <laughs> Imagine it'd just be like a side eye, like a double glance, like, wait, what? What? <laughs> no. So, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about Saru in that manner of him putting the uniform on because I guess he's more of an acting captain, not an official. No, he's captain. he's actually the captain now. He was the acting captain up to this point. But now so he's, he's the official captain, but not of rank. Well, official I mean, rank. apparently he is because he put it on. But I'm like, I, I don't know where. I guess there's maybe some Starfleet regulation that allows you to promote yourself. But 
You can, like I said, you can be the captain of a ship without the rank right. of captain. Right. Yeah. See, part of me has always wondered, like in the replicator room, what stops an ensign from just replicating an extra pip, just so, for the sake of cosplay or the holodeck? Like, oh, I'm pretending I'm an ensign, or I'm pretending I'm a lieutenant. Like, is there a special card you get with your promotion? Like, here, you've unlocked a new clothing allowance. Uh, I wonder if they just have extra captain's uniforms lying around. That's what I was wondering with regards to Giorgio. I was like, how did she get this uniform? Like, yeah. Did, is the computer okay with this? What the heck? <laughs> Imagine the computer just being like, uh, excuse you. <laughs> <laughs> she has her ways, you know. She is section 31. <laughs> she has all the sewing skills that come along with her training. <laughs> <laughs> she's in her room. She's got a sewing machine. <laughs> she's sewing it. <laughs> It's one of those elective courses you can take when you're practicing for Section 31. (laughs) (laughs) You have to have good sewing skills to be in Section 31. If you think about it, that's how you make your own undercover clothing. It would be a a very good course to have. That's quite interesting. So (laughs) we'll move on from there. So, okay. So, yes, Saru is now captain. And then we find out later that Michael Burnham, she takes on the role now of number one. Although at first she doesn't accept it right away. But her character is quite interesting in this episode. There's a lot of changes involved in her. A lot of things about her that we don't know exactly what has happened to her in the past year. Which makes me wonder if that future episode, That Hope Is You Part 2, is a reflection back on the past year of Burnham. Because... The season premiere episode was called part one, but we never got the part two. And I'm wondering if part two reveals things that she went through that they're hiding from us right now. I would love to see that because she definitely, you see her in this episode. I I can't remember. I think it's Tilly who says, you just look lighter. And I totally agree with that because you see the character on screen and she's just, she's smiling more. She seems like she's enjoying herself more. And she just is free of all of the, I don't want to say gunk, but gunk of everything that she's had to deal with in her life. And she basically got a fresh start and now she's coming back to a life she's known, but as a new person. Yeah. There, there's been a lot of changes with Burnham for sure. And, and yeah, lighter somehow that that's definitely an interesting observation. I really like that. I also like when she describes discovery as being familiar, but far away, like this whole, like you said, Bruce, this whole year of experiences has changed her really fundamentally. And I'm, yeah, I'm curious about that hope is you part two, because we have all the titles for the rest of season three now, and it's not in there. So would that be like the season four premiere? And like by that point, how far removed are we? I'm I'm really curious as to what their plan is. But I would also love to to see that year filled in and and you know, I, I think we'll get pieces of it along the way, maybe, but yeah, I'd I'd love to see like what was Burnham up to for that year. What are some of these adventures she's been on with Book? And I love seeing her having this lighter personality. But at the same time, I'm thinking, is this a response to fans where the writers are like, we need to loosen her up? <laughs> you know, it's like there's always that thing in the my back of my mind. It's like, well, really, what are the writers thinking or the producers thinking? Is this a response to that? Or was this something I was always planned? And in a lot of ways, I think it's a mix of both. I think the fact that uh, this is, show is called Discovering, it's about Berm discovering herself. I've kind of always expected she will loosen up and really start to find herself that this is her journey. And, you know, coming from Vulcan 
and joining other humans from Earth and trying to fit in and discover herself through the process. I mean, that's what a lot of is, go- is going on with all these characters. They're all discovering themselves. I mean, even look at Saru. I mean, he's made a big leap from where we started with him originally in season one to where he is as captain. But I really love Burnham's relationship with Book in this. There's, there's definitely some sexual tension between the two of them, for sure. Especially when she's zipping up his uniform. They had to play that slow and that moment. Oh, my gosh, yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh, we get it. <laughs> but the dynamic between the two is so much fun that just they play off each other, you know, and they tease each other. And they're, and they're always talking about these things that they dealt with in the past. Remember when, oh, yeah, don't get me started with that kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. It was great. And I really, I like that they didn't focus entirely on the sexual aspect of it. Because in real relationships... That's not the whole thing. You have to enjoy the personality and the experiences with them. And I'm so glad that they just had a fun side to the relationship and not just a, ooh, sexy without your shirt on, sir, side. Yeah, right from the very beginning of the episode, right? She describes him as a friend in the truest sense of the word or, or whatever she says, right? Like, they have a deep friendship right now. It's not romantic. I think the potential is there obviously there's some hints but you know at this point i love that they've established that they've spent a year getting to know each other on that level and not on you know the other more obvious levels i guess uh you know and i i love book i think he's great i've seen some people talking about his personality him being one note i don't know i look at book and i see him i see a lot of depth there i think he's reserved and a bit stoic but i think there's there's layers underneath that you know we see little hints of and i love what he talks about grudge for example she's a queen you know and, and burnham making fun of him like that's so great my my i think my favorite book moment was very subtle but it was kayla <laughs> checking him out as he comes on the bridge and just the one eyebrow where he's like oh <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i just i laughed really hard at that one i thought that was good to an earlier point you made bruce too about fan expectations and and is burnham just a response to um fan complaints and stuff star trek fandom is funny because watching discovery and some of the points you made it's obvious right like you have burnham from the starting point she's going to develop and go certain ways. And then you have fans out there that are like, I don't like the way she is. I think she should change and to be, be more open and embrace her human side. Well, yeah, like that's what the show's going to do. Like that's what it's about. So I don't think it's a response to fan criticisms. I think it's fans jumping the gun and not realizing like we're on chapter one, two, and three of a story here. And this is where her character is going. And, and like, I don't know, it just seems kind of obvious to me that that's, it's character development, not responding to fan criticism. I don't know. That's just my opinion. See, I can kind of see it as the middle of the road because I feel like they saw fans saying, listen, oh, come on, you're having a strong female character, but she shows no emotion at all. And so maybe they just sped up her timeline a little bit and introduced that more relaxed state because it does seem like she's taken a bit of a big jump, but that's what you see in a year's time. So Mm -hmm. I think it might have just been a happy accident and uh, it just coincides with what the fans were saying and what the writers had planned. Yeah, I I think it's a blend of all those things because also to add to that, you look at past seasons of Star Trek where characters loosen up over time anyway and the actor's personalities come out more and more through that character. You know, I keep thinking of 
Jean-Luc Picard, you know, he loosened up by the time we got to Nemesis, <laughs> you know, I mean, they all kind of loosen up after a while, you know, they find their footing, they find the shoes that fit right. And then they just kind of go from there. So and I think we get that with a lot of the characters um, that there's that scene. And I want to ask you guys this because I really feel stupid to ask this question because I don't know why I'm not getting it, but I'm going to ask it because I want to know the answer. So it's the cake is eternal scene is what I call the scene. The one between Burnham and Tilly. And it's a nice scene and it's an important scene. We need Tilly talking about, because in this she's representing the rest of the crew, but talking about being in the future and being far removed now from family, friends and what earth was and having that moment of, you know, sadness and, and missing the loved ones and wondering what happened to them. But during the scene, she talks about picturing Burnham with the dandelion and, and blowing it and it little pieces fly away. And she says, you let us go, didn't you? You let us go. What, are, what does she mean by that, that she let her go? It's kind of like when you leave college and you're super close to everyone and you move and do your own thing and you realize it'll never be the same like that. I might never see them again. And you just have to accept that fact and move on and let them float and be free and do what they're doing and not expect that you'll see each other again. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of for me, cause I'm living that right now with my friends who are scattered across the country and the world. And it, it definitely saw parallels to that. Yeah. I, I think it's just merely survival for Burnham. Like she's spent a year in this world and she's had to let the discovery crew go because she like you said, does didn't know if she'd ever see them ever again. You know, in the previous episode with her, we, you know, it could be uh, tomorrow, it could be a thousand years that Discovery shows up. So in order to cope and get along in this world and move on, she had to let them go and, and make peace with the fact that she would likely never see them again. Like, we kind of underestimate, we, we get this year long jump, but you know, if we had followed it along, if we, we'd seen an entire season, for example, of what Burnham's been up to and what she's been doing, you would see that gradual, like, you know, uh, I'm never going to see my friends again. I have to let them go in order to be able to, you know, psychologically survive. I think that's what this is a reflection of. Like now all of the sudden in the space of a day, this crew has been dropped back in her lap and she doesn't she doesn't relate to them the same way because psychologically she's had to let them go. So I, I think that's what they're talking about. That's what, you know, they're reflecting here in the scene. Got it. Yeah. That all makes sense now. Oh my gosh. Okay. So there's just so much, there's just so much emotion in things into these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, then there's the other things here that I wanted to touch on and it relates to Admiral Tall, which we find out later. Well, Admiral Tall has kind of been around us through most of this episode anyway, through Adira, who has a Trill symbiont in her. And so I kind of want to touch on all of that as a whole. So, Dan, what? how did you like them working in Trill into this and the fact that she's a human carrying a Trill symbiont? So excited. (laughs) I love the trail. I love, I've always really liked Dax as a character. So like further exploration of what the trail are and, and how they relate. And the fact of course that she's human, you know, the first, the first 
Trill joining that we saw in Star Trek was Riker to to Odon, right? So, you know, it's been done before and there were medical issues then, but we're a thousand years past that. So they figured that out, I guess, which is pretty cool. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting that we get this character and I, I was surprised she was so young. I didn't realize she was only 16. That's yeah. really interesting. I, I think there, there's some really cool things with this character. I think they're going to do some really interesting stuff with them. So, uh, yeah, really excited to see where this all goes. Yeah, she's the Wesley Crusher of Discovery now because of her age. <laughs> I don't know, Katie, what'd you think? I thought initially I was like, wait, Trill and Human, what? And then I remembered the whole Riker situation. I was like, still what? And then I remembered, wait, Vulcans and humans originally couldn't co-create or procreate. So it's, it makes sense that in about a thousand year, years, you'd be able to figure something out. Or Yeah, my first reaction was the same too. I was like, wait a second. She can't be carrying a Trill symbiote. She's a human. Oh, wait, we've done that before. Wait, okay. Yep. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> the yeah, very yeah, yeah. first episode that ever introduced the Trill, they did exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was my first reaction too. And then I love even how they worked in later where Saru says, because she's human, she's having a hard time with the memories of Admiral Tall because maybe because she's not Trill. So it's acknowledging that even though she's not Trill, she can carry the symbiont, but it's not going to be the same experience. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little different. One thing I have to give uh, the writers kudos for is Burnham and Saru not knowing about the Trill symbionts, which totally fits in with canon. The Trill kept that secret for years and years and years. So I love that they were like, oh, I had no idea that there is these symbionts. One area where I have to say they dropped the ball a little bit, though, was uh, getting Synthahol out of the, the food processor because Scotty, when he goes to the next generation, has no idea what Synthahol is and Data has to explain to him, oh, Federation starships now carry Synthahol, which is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so whoops, there a little, just, just a little bit of, we, you could say Scotty was confused. He also thought Kirk was going to rescue him. So maybe he's just a little confused, but <laughs> yeah, I was like, Ooh, a little bit of a miss there, I think, but that's okay. They just jumped the gun just a little just bit, just a little bit, just a century or so. It's yeah, it's fine. <laughs> okay, Dan. So that bothered me a little and I did tweet it. Oh, really? I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. I did tweet about that and I really, you know, I, I'll let things pass like that sometimes, but I will say when I rewatch the episode again, to me, it works now because I think that, yes, Cynthia Hall did not exist at the time of discovery in 2258, but now Burnham's in the future and she knows what Cynthia Hall is from living in the future for the past year. And she knows that book does not like Cynthia Hall. So when they're ready to go on this little mission and he goes to get his replicated drink, he's about to drink it. And she says, oh, no, what, you're going to drink synthanol? Not knowing that he doesn't know that it doesn't exist yet. It's her way of getting him to put it down because he, they mentioned in the previous mission when he drank, he wasn't sober. And he says, maybe it will work this time now that I'll be sober. I feel like <laughs> she was playing him. Okay, that's brilliant. That's a nice workaround. I love it. <laughs> wow. So go back and watch that scene now thinking that and then you realize it does work that it's like she's just trying to get him to put that drink down and she knows he won't drink it if it's synthanol. So that's interesting. I like it. I have to work through things all the time like this. Like on the first episode when she didn't seem surprised to hear about the Gorn, you know, I was like, wait a second. 
they haven't had first contact with Gorn. Oh, but she was on a ship with Mird Lorca, who had a Gorn skeleton, and he probably told her what a Gorn was, but that doesn't mean the Federation and Starfleet had met the Gorn yet. Yeah. The other thing I thought with regards to that, like my brain did a whole thing there, was, yeah, Arena was the first contact with the Gorn, but they don't find out the name of the Gorn till the end of the episode, like the Metron tells him, oh, the Gorn vessel, blah, blah, blah. So the name Gorn might be out there, but they just don't know because there's actually an Enterprise episode uh, on an Orion ship where the they hand Archer a drink and he says, oh, this is a bottle of whatever from the Gorn hegemony. So the name's out there. They've just not met them. So it's like, mm. oh, this mysterious race that we've never met yet. Yeah, the Gorn, I've heard of them. They did what? Yes. So that, no, yeah. that, that is a good point. That's a true point too. Yeah. Well, and that's like the Romulans, you know, for the longest time they know of Romulans, but never saw one. Exactly. Yeah. It takes Kirk like to be the one after a century of hearing about Gorns and Romulans to identify them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, Star Trek fans justifying the writer's room since 1965. Absolutely. <laughs> James R. Kirk. That was the very first, mistake and it's been explained (laughs) it all works it all works somehow we all make it work somehow so one of the things i also want to touch on is uh adira so i really you know as we were just talking about her character i want to get more into her character i love that she's going around and she's trying to you know she's sabotaging the ship and i love the exchange that she has with stamets of why she's there and i mean she's really trying to find Starfleet in the Federation because of the symbiont being Admiral Tall. But I really like her character. I, I like the dynamic she had with Stamet and Tilly, too, that she's just doing her thing. And they're like, what are you doing? Get away. I know we're all smart here and all that stuff. <laughs> the sass in those scenes. I love it. It was one of the more lighthearted parts of the episode, I think, because it just it showed the human aspect of things. Like, whether you're from the future or from the past, Humans are still going to be sassy and it's still going to be fun. Mm-hmm. I, I love that Stamets has somebody to geek out with. Like when he's standing there explaining his life's work, <laughs> like that, yeah. that scene was fun. Like, he's just like, I get to talk about the displacement activated spore hub drive, but nobody calls it that. You know, <laughs> it was just, it was cute. I, I really like Stamets geeking out and, the fact that Adira also is wide eyed and just like taking in all this information and, and, you know, just kind of excited about being on this ship that looks like a museum, but still has some pretty cool technology. Yeah. I just wonder if she and Tilly are going to be best friends or always just kind of bickering with each other. Oh, always competing. Tilly has her hackles up around them. Like, it's just like, woof. She does not, she's threatened, I think, which is interesting. <laughs> best frenemies, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, one real quick thing I wanted to mention, I was going to mention earlier at the start of the episode was the star date. I thought that was interesting. It's six digits before the decimal, the 865211.3. I wasn't going to do the math to see if it works, but but it does make it seem it is in the future. Yeah, I did like that as well. I, I kind of had to repeat it in my head after she said it and go like, yeah, that's more digits. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? That freaking tree. The tree. <laughs> oh my gosh. That that part 
I, I was fine with it, absolutely fine with it, until you zoom out and you see every other tree is maybe 40 years old. What made that tree so special? Did Boothby like put a security barrier around <laughs> it? Like, why is that the only tree that they didn't cut down? Well, there's going to be a novel by Christopher L. Bennett that will explain all that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was so happy. They're like, oh, yeah, this tree's lasted so many hundreds of years. I'm like, yes, I love this. I love this, writers. It's so great. Why? (laughs) Wait, how do you know the other trees lasted? Maybe those are all newer trees. They're just fully grown now. I mean, it's not like every tree that died off, they never replaced, right? It wouldn't be just like, Earth doesn't have any more trees because nobody would plant a new one. <laughs> I was like, how, how come that one tree survived out of everyone in the Bay Area? Because that tree is like Discovery and Burnham. They, they survive for hundreds of years and they keep growing. I thought you were going to say like a wormhole opened up and it just happened upon Starfleet Academy. No, it's all symbolic. See, the one line that, that kind of made it okay for me was they, they all of them said, like, I studied under this tree. Oh, me too. Like, it, it was a special tree. Like, maybe it's one that's been there since, like, you know, Starfleet Academy was founded or something. And because there were benches underneath it and stuff. Like, I feel like it was just a special tree. I don't know. You know, like, it, it seemed like a special tree even at the time in the 23rd century. So that's how I took it. Yeah. It, somehow it's a special tree. It's like when I took a tour of Paramount Studios, they took us by the tree. There was this one tree that was such a thing. I don't know why. <laughs> I just it's know. modeled after that. I just remember them saying that the tree had been used in many things things that been shot on the lot including the brady bunch where greg was smoking cigarettes with his friends <gasps> really <laughs> that, that's for my brady bunch podcast i haven't launched yet but i'll get into that when that happens oh so call me up <laughs> <laughs> i love alice <laughs> <laughs> okay so katie being our guest final thoughts on this episode I think it's my favorite of the three that we've seen so far this season because it's the most optimistic of them. Yes, of course, the Federation is mostly gone. You had the burn, massive devastation, and dystopian society. But now you see there's still Starfleet Academy. There's still the Golden Gate Bridge. There's still so many things that they remember. And it does give you hope and it reassures you as a fan that not everything's different and they're just going to explore what is different while still holding true to their values. And so that, that gives me hope for the rest of the season. Dan, I want to get your final thoughts. I'll give mine. And then we're going to go back to Katie because she revealed to us before the show, her thoughts on the last two episodes. So Dan, final thoughts <laughs> on this one. I really enjoyed this episode. I like the, the very Star Trek message and, and ending of it you know, with the the negotiation versus the shootout. And to Katie's point, of course, it's optimistic. I like the optimism. Boy, that bridge has been there a while, eh? Like that's an old bridge now. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's really good to see Earth, uh, even though things aren't exactly as we remember. I, I like the, the kind of hope that we see here and you know the surprise the the idea of earth not being a part of the federation i think that's an interesting thing to explore a lot of times star trek puts the earth at the center of everything and makes it the most important thing and and you know other times i'm like okay you know it it's just one planet in a federation of over 150 worlds as of you know the 24th century so you know i i like the idea that we're maybe putting our focus elsewhere 
As far as a rating, uh, I'm going to give it one really cool museum that people live in. Oh, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything you guys said, I feel the same way about this episode. I like the idea that Earth is in this situation where it's not part of the Federation. It gives us something to play with through the season. And there's a part of me that's hoping that they will be part of the Federation again, but they will no longer be the home planet to the Federation Starfleet. I like to see Federation involve and look different. And maybe it's based on Vulcan or wherever it is, but not have it return to Earth. Let it stay where it is. If it's in a good place, that's what I'm assuming or I'm hoping that's in your place. But yeah, the stuff with the trill, I love the dynamics with the cast, the interplay between them all. It's really feeling like family in this episode. So I really enjoyed that. So yeah, I mean, I, I give this, you know, four out of five dots repairing the ship. So Katie, that being said, yeah, you didn't like, I'm assuming the first two episodes of the season. Yeah. It's, because coming off of season two, it was you were introduced to the Enterprise and Pike and the colorful uniforms and everything, and it was really starting to stand out. And I watched the first two episodes and I thought, this is a regression. Because I was watching it from the other side of the room, and I just thought, this is all just muddled together as grays, blues, and black tones. And it just looks so muddy like a newspaper dipped in water and i just was like come on guys you have such vibrant stories such good stories to tell i get it's dystopian but that doesn't mean it has to go back to noir films and be black and white like you can add color and depth and like the andorians they popped so much because of their blue and the orions they're green but that was the only color there was and i don't know call call me childish but i like color in star trek that's why i love lower decks so much and so i just that have brought down the episodes as a whole because it was just kind of monotone and blah <laughs> And it just really took away from the story for me. But now we're starting to get back towards Earth and we're seeing the Golden Gate and seeing San Francisco and all that. And it was actually colorful. And so it kind of made it color brings up the mood. So it made me feel a bit more optimistic and it allowed me to focus more on the story rather than why did they go with this choice for filming? No, that's interesting. I was not expecting you to say that. I had no idea why you didn't like it. I thought it was more about the story or the way certain characters were treated or you didn't think they responded the way they should have or something like that. But uh, the tone, the color tone, the visuals of it, I get that. I mean, it didn't bother me, but I definitely see what you're talking about because I've also, that has bothered me in other things, you know, and just like first thing that comes to mind is like uh, man of steel. You know, I've always liked the Superman movies, but you know, they put these filters or whatever they do digitally to, decrease and downplay the colors and and it's just it's too dark sometimes you like you want to see vibrant colors i mean that's why we have colored film right? exactly <laughs> and like i i feel like it wouldn't affect me as much if i hadn't have noticed it right after re-watching the end of season two because it is a shock and me being a little kdhd a little bit about it because you know kdhd it just it totally distracted and i think it was meant to do the opposite but they need to realize that dystopian doesn't mean doom and gloom. Like, sure, dystopian stories, they do tend to be on the darker side. But you have to be able to see what's happening. Turn on a light. 
it just, I feel like some of those scenes would have benefited so much more from just little pops of color, little hints of color, and it wouldn't have been as distracting as it is right now, at least to me, and it's just running together. So you're more focused on trying to see details in the background if they put them in there than if they were colored and you wouldn't have to look so hard and you'd be able to focus on the story. That also reminds me of I was watching something last night and sometimes when there's dark scenes, it wasn't Star Trek, but you know, dark scenes, sometimes I have a hard time seeing them on the TV because there may be a glare in the room or something on the TV. I, I need a TV that has no glare to it. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to make them that way. That's that's my biggest complaint about The Mandalorian, especially season one, actually. So many of the episodes are just so dark. Like, I don't, I can't see anything. Anyway. That's what I was watching last night. I kind of figured. That's why I was like, is that The Mandalorian? I think it was The Mandalorian. Yeah, it was near the beginning. Even though I saw it earlier in my movie theater room, I was watching it upstairs with my wife and it's this... I don't know. I have that with a lot, a lot of shows where it's dark outside or they're in a dark room and I'm like, I can't really see it. Someone turn off the rest of those lights. It's like you or close those curtains. I can't see it that well. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks Katie for joining us. This was an interesting conversation. Yes. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure to have you on. And so you're going to join us on the next episode where we're going to talk about just general things in Star Trek news and such. But uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you online? Absolutely. Well, if you want to interact with me, I'm really active on Twitter, at weather underscore Katie. You'll occasionally get weather updates for Sioux City, Iowa, but I try to keep it more general. And uh, I'm actually getting back in the swing of things with my fandom forecasts. Being a meteorologist, I do forecasts for different fandoms like Star Wars, Star Trek. And I have one up my sleeve that's coming out in a few weeks that I am so excited for. So you'll be able to see it there. And then I'm also on YouTube. So many fandoms, the one with less followers than the other one. Because I didn't realize there was another one already. (laughs) And Dan, where can we find you? Or does somebody have a similar channel name as you do? Uh, I've not seen one, actually. I I don't think there's another Kurtrats out there. Because, yeah, on on YouTube, I'm Kurtrats Productions. There is a a Facebook page called Kurtrats or something that was selling stuff. But I haven't seen that pop up in a while uh that's not me uh you can find me on twitter at kurtrats so that's just k-e-r-t-r-a-t-s star trek backwards pretty easy to figure out uh kurtrats 47 on instagram just search for kurtrats you'll probably find me and you can find me on twitter at adwell underscore rex and you can find me occasionally on the star wars report and there should be one out there recently with me on it and Dan may be on that one too. So look for that. Oh, mm. oh, me, Dan. Oh, oh yeah, interesting. You, Dan. Oh. Have I been sleep podcasting again? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. And, you know, there may be a future episode I'm going to try to get Katie back on too in Star Wars Report. Woo! We'll see. We'll work that out. Anyway, thanks everyone for joining us and stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.